We are reading through 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians, the 11th, 12th, and 13th chapters. We're discovering some instructions for faithful living. Last Sunday, we discovered how important the Bible is for us. And we all know how important the Bible is. We wouldn't be here if we didn't believe that. But, but the Bible is absolutely essential in determining what God would have us to do in our life. And we looked at a passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that reminds us of that very important truth. This morning, we're going to see how significant it is that we define our world through God's eyes, not the world's eyes. We're going to see how important it is to have the right definitions, the correct definitions in life. And we'll be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to be reading from verse 30 this morning. We probably all have heard the statement, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. The phrase actually appeared a long time ago, back in in 1786. It appeared in an essay. Apparently, there were a lot of chains breaking at that time. (laughs) There, There is a television show that's just been revived. It actually was in its heyday several years ago called The The Weakest Link. It's where contestants compete for $100,000 trying not to be voted out as The Weakest Link. Now, that show used to be wildly popular uh, apparently, there was uh, no end of, of weak links or people that won $100,000. Back in its heyday, this show that actually started in Britain, it spread to over 40 different countries. So in 40 different languages, the host would say, you are the weakest link. Goodbye. That's the way the world usually thinks about things. To be strong, you've got to get rid of the weak. But Paul turns that idea on its head here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and actually he follows up on this in chapter 12 as well. In answering his critics in Corinth, and that's what this section of the, the second the letter that we know of as 2 Corinthians, that's what this section is. is Paul is, is trying to refute some of the accusations that have been made against him and against his ministry. In answering his critics in, in Corinth, now, now normally when you're trying to defend yourself, you try to talk about all things you've done well. You know, you try to, well, you know, I did this and I did that. I did this and I did that. You know, you, know, you, you kind of come up with a list of things that you've done. Well, Paul comes up with a list of things. But instead of listing the things that are his accomplishments, he lists some things that in the world's definition, in the world's understanding, would be seen as events of weakness. He talks about failures, about times he was imprisoned, times he was shipwrecked, times he was hungry, times he was impoverished. But in those times, Paul made an extraordinary discovery that's what we need to understand today. Paul came to understand that what the world defines as strength, that's the wrong definition. And the reason it's important for us to understand, Paul identifies it here in the 30th verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. What in the world is Paul talking about here? That can't possibly be right. How can you be strong if you only talk about ways you're weak? Well, here's what we need to understand this morning. In Christ, we find real strength in our weakness. Now, 
First and foremost, we need to make sure that we have the correct definition. How do you define success this morning? Whatever it is that you're attempting to do, whether you're in business and you're, you're trying to build your business, whether you're retired and you're trying to enjoy retirement, whether you're a grandparent and you're trying to take care of your grandkids, whether you're a parent trying to raise your family, whatever it is that you're doing, how do you define success in that? Do you define it as having a good career? Do you define it as making a lot of money? Do you define success as having a lot of friends? How do you define success this morning? Most people who are in business have a resume. It's what you use when you're looking for a job. In fact, it's often one of the very first impressions that you give to a potential employer is you give them your resume. And typically on that resume, a person will list their different accomplishments the things that they have been able to do throughout their working career, jobs where they have worked, responsibilities they've had, awards that they have been given. They'd all be listed there for that potential employer to see. You would be hard-pressed to find a resume like the one that Paul gives here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to look at this a little bit long, but I want you to listen to the things that Paul lists on his resume. Starts in verse 23, he says, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. Now imagine you're the head of HR and you get that resume. Okay, this guy's been in prison. He is still currently an enemy of the nation. He's been beaten, he's been stoned, he's been shipwrecked, he has been constantly in danger, he is homeless, and he's starving. That is probably not the guy you're going to place on the top of your to-hire list. (laughs) That's probably the resume you're going to put on your dykes list. (laughs) I'm saying, oh, we don't want to be anywhere near this guy. (laughs) And yet... Those are some of the things of which Paul says he boasts. Now, we'll find out more in just, um, uh, actually, next week. We're going to take a closer look of why these were things Paul boasted about. But it is very clear that Paul did not define success in the way that most Roman citizens would have defined success. 
In fact, most of the people in his world would have defined Paul as an abject failure. He had been run out of virtually every city he had visited. The only time he ever stayed in one place for, in one place for any length of time was when he was in prison. <laughs> and virtually every church that Paul had started seemed to just have a world of problems. But there was something else going on in Paul's life. Paul recognized that those things the world identified as failures were actually things that God was using in his kingdom. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, Paul describes how he had been able to share the gospel right in the middle of the palace guard of the emperor. Something he never would have been able to do except for the fact that he was in prison. (laughs) And so the guards were right there outside his prison cell, so he just told them about Jesus. The gospel was spreading In the midst of the Roman palace, and Paul realized that was something that could have never been accomplished except for the fact that he was in prison. That wasn't that Paul was glad for all the difficulties that he had faced. It's that he realized those difficulties were being used to take the gospel to places where it would not have been able to go otherwise. It's all in how you define success. According to the website Fluentu.com, that's a great name, I love it, Fluentu. There are several English words that are often used to mean the wrong thing. For example, the, the, the words poisonous, and venomous. Now, often those used are just uh, words are used interchangeably, but they actually mean different things. The word poisonous describes something that will poison you if you eat it. The word venomous describes something that will poison you if it bites you. So a poisonous snake would only hurt you if you ate it. While a venomous snake will only hurt you if it bites you. No problem for me. I'm not going to get close enough to do either one of those things to snakes. But those two words actually mean different things. Poisonous and venomous. Another example. This one, I I have to admit, I didn't know until I read it. The words flammable and inflammable. Most of us, including me, think those words are Opposite, that they mean the opposite thing. But actually, they mean the same thing. They have the exact same definition. Both of them, flammable and inflammable, mean something that can catch on fire. Now, some of you are sitting saying, he didn't know what he's talking about. Look it up, I promise you. (laughs) They mean the same thing. So if you pick up a box and it either says flammable or if it says inflammable, don't put it by the fireplace. (laughs) Because both words mean this can easily catch fire. Getting the definition of a word wrong, it can be harmful. You might catch something on fire. 
Or it could even be deadly. You could die from a poisonous mushroom or a venomous snake. But the incorrect definition that Paul identifies here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it can be even more harmful than that. If we define success by the world's standards, we are going to waste our entire life chasing after something that, no pun intended, literally has no meaning at all. It is vital that we know the true definition of success, not by the world's standards, but what does God consider to be success? Paul follows his resume that I just read to you a minute ago. He follows that with the verse that we started out with, the verse there in verse 30. He says, if I must boast... I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. And then he follows that verse with a a very strange example. And it's a little hard to catch what he's saying because we're in a different culture. But when you find out what Paul describes, it it, it hits the nail right on the head on what he's trying to say. That he's, he's telling us, don't define your success by what the world considers to be success. Define your success by what God is doing. Here's the example uh, that he gives. You can read it there in verse 31, 32. It's also recorded in Acts chapter 9. Paul describes an event in his life where he had to escape from, from the city of Damascus. And he escaped by being lowered over the city wall in order to get away. Now, now we might see that as a really close call. As, as an inventive way to, to get out of trouble, to be lowered over the, the city wall. He was in a basket is the, is the way that they did it. We might see it that way. But that's not the way they would have seen it in the New Testament world. Here's what Paul was referring to. One of the highest awards that could be given to a Roman soldier was the award called the Corona Moralis, and that literally means the wall crown. And that award was given to the soldier who in a time of battle, when you were attacking a city, uh, particularly a city that had a wall all around it, somebody had to get over that wall. The army had to get, get through that somehow, and somebody had to be first. And so the first soldier who was able to get over the wall and into the city, they were awarded with this uh, Corona Morales, this this extraordinary award. It was was one of the most valued awards, not only amongst Roman soldiers, but amongst all of Roman society. It was an extraordinary thing. Paul's description was the exact opposite of that instead of bravely charging into a city he was being lowered over a wall at night in a basket like a piece of trash so that he could escape with his life 
In, in New Testament view, that would have been seen as a horrible sign of defeat. That you couldn't even walk out of the city on your own two legs. You were in such a bad situation that you had to be lowered over the wall in a basket. But Paul saw something else. In what the world would have viewed as weakness, Paul saw something amazing. He saw that God had delivered him. And he was able to continue to share the gospel. He didn't want an award. He didn't want to win the Corona Morales. He wanted to win people to Jesus. It is absolutely crucial to have the correct standard of measurement. Pants that are 36 inches long are going to be very different than pants that are 36 centimeters long. If you have some pants that are 36 centimeters long, I hope you like short pants because they're not going to be very long. Using the wrong standard of measurement can be a little embarrassing or it can be much more costly than that. Back in 1628, the, the, the Swedish government built a mighty warship called the Vasa. It was designed to be a, 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 a ship that would go out and protect their nation. It was even designed to, to go and defeat other ships at war. They were really proud of their ship. And with great fanfare, they they launched the Vasa one day. It made it one mile before it capsized and sank. Well, hundreds of years later, back in 1961, archaeologists figured out a way to to raise that ship off the bottom of the ocean floor. And and as they did, uh, they, they began to study it and they found out what the problem was. Because they discovered four... Sticks that were used as measurement. We, we would call them a ruler. I mean, the, you know, that would only be for the English foot. But, but you know, they basically were a, a, a standard of measurement. They found four of them. Two of those sticks, those standards of, of measurement, were measured in Swedish feet. It's roughly the same as our 12-inch foot. A little different, but basically the same. But two of the standards of measurement that they found used the measurement that was popular in Amsterdam in that day, which was about 11 inches in length. And as they began to continue to study, they figured out that the port side of this ship was thinner than the starboard side. And apparently the workers that were on one side of the ship were using a slightly different standard of measurement than the ones on the other side of the ship were using. Which that may not sound like that big a deal, but it was a pretty big deal for the 30 people that perished when that boat went down a mile out to sea. Because what happened was because one side was thicker than the other, it caused one side to be heavier than the other and the ship rotated and sank. Using the wrong standard of measurement can be embarrassing, 
or using the wrong standard of measurement can be deadly. Paul recognized the same truth. Receiving an award as a soldier of the Roman army, that was one thing. Although there was a little asterisk by that award, because most of the soldiers who received that award were dead. Because the first guy over the wall usually didn't survive. And you can understand why. I mean, a city that's being attacked, they're going to do everything they can to to beat off any of the soldiers that might be coming up the wall. So the first guy is going to get all of the arrows, all the spears. That's the reason for the award. But Paul knew that the message of Christ led to everlasting life. And what the world saw as failures in his life actually allowed him to further the message of Christ. So I want to ask you this morning, how do you measure success? By how many dollars you have in the bank? By how many friends that you have? Or by how many friends you've led to the Lord? Do you measure success by how many folks you've stepped over to get ahead? Or by how many who will welcome you into the gates of heaven saying, Thank you for telling me about Jesus. How do you measure success? How do we measure success as a church? I mentioned earlier, and I got the announcement all backwards, but I hope you got the gist of that. We need to be ready. Once we get through this COVID mess, we need to be ready to move forward in ministry. We need to be ready to reach people for Christ. Because I believe that once we are past this crisis, there are going to be people all around us who are going to say, This world is broken. I I don't want what this world has to offer. What this world has to offer, it can be gone in a moment. There's got to be something else. And we know what that something else is. And I think people are going to be ready to hear that message. So how are we going to define success as a church? My prayer is that these two Bible studies that we're going to be endeavoring to Get people to be involved in. And it's difficult right now. I know it's hard. All this COVID mess has has just turned all of our ministries upside down. And and especially trying to get people together for a Bible study. You really got to work at it. (laughs) You really got to work at being a part of Bible study. Because either you're going to have to mask up and distance up and all that other stuff and be here. Or you're going to have to get at the computer and actually figure out, okay, I got to type this in. And I got to go to this address. And I got to make this work. And I got to, you know, I got to figure it out. You know, you got to work to attend a Bible study right now. And I apologize for that. But that's just the way it is. But, but my prayer is that these two Bible studies will help us really define success for National Heights Baptist Church. What does it mean to be successful as God's church that he planted at 3050 North National? What does that mean? Well, I hope these studies will help us to 
like a laser, zero in on exactly what we need to be as the people of God. And that our success won't be measured by the buildings that we build or by the money that we have in the bank or or even by the numbers of people we have in the pews. Our success will be measured by the people we reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be successful. Heavenly Father, Help us this morning. Last week we, we, we discovered how important your word is, how important it is to, to always measure everything that we have in our life, everything that we do, everything that we think about, everything that we plan, to measure that according to your word. This week we, we discovered that, that sometimes in our world our definitions of what it means to be successful get a little bit turned on their head. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to understand what Paul came to understand what real success is in your kingdom. That we won't define success by what the world says. We'll define success by what you define success as. And the last thing you told us before you ascended up into heaven, you said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. So, Lord, we want to do that. We want to figure out how to make that happen. And you've given us a little bit of time here during this season of COVID. You've given us an opportunity just to pause for a moment and really spend some time praying and searching and seeking your will. So we pray you'd help us do that, Lord. I pray these Bible studies will help us to, 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 to zero in on what it means to be successful in your kingdom. And that, Heavenly Father, uh, you'll help us as a church to truly see that our success is not measured by the kind of music that we sing or by the kind of pews that we sit in or by the the rooms that we build or by the money that we have in the bank or any of those kinds of things. Our success is measured by one thing. Our success is measured by doing that, by going ye therefore into the world, teaching people about you. Help us, Lord, to see that. But not just to see it. Help us, Lord, to live it. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Heavenly, uh, it's it, it, it exciting to be a part of heaven's work, isn't it? It's exciting to be a part of God's kingdom work. It, it's exciting to be a part of what God is doing. And, and again, I really believe that our, our world is, is searching for that. And it literally is our world. This isn't just a Springfield problem. It's not just a United States problem. It's not just a North American problem. This pandemic is worldwide. And so all around the world, people are asking What else is there? This is a mess. There's got to be something better than this. And we know that there is. And we want to share that with you this morning. Maybe you're here and you're thinking that very thing. Maybe you came here this morning. Maybe you're watching us online. And the very reason that you did that is because you're saying, this world is a mess. I want something different. This can't be the way the world is supposed to work. Maybe this God thing has something that can make a difference in my life. And we want you to know something that God can and will make a difference in your life. Not just a difference. He'll transform your life. It is absolutely a miracle what God will do in your life if simply by faith you will trust him. Now, you may be wondering, well, how do I do that? I do want something different than this world has. How do I do that? Well, we want to help you. Now, ordinarily, we would invite you to come down here to the front. Again, the virus has kind of turned that on its head, too, so we we can't do that quite the same way that we normally do it. 
But there is a way that we want to help you. If you're here with us in person, there is a card right there in the pew racks before you. It's called the connection card. Just give us some contact information and indicate on that card. I want to follow Jesus. There's a little checkbox you can check or you can just write it on the card. I I want to know more about Christ. I want to know how to follow him. I I, I want to know what it is to to accept Christ as my Savior. Just just let us us know that. Drop it in the basket. They're right there by the doors as you exit out this morning. Just drop it there. We'll be in touch with you to share with you from the Bible, from the Scripture. Again, we talked about last week how important the Bible is. It's not just what we have to tell you. This is what God has to tell you. It's from his word. We'll show you in God's word how you can personally recognize your need. You can recognize, you know what? I've sinned. I've done things God didn't want me to do. I've messed up my life. And I can't change. I can't fix it. I can't make myself right with God. But Jesus has done that for me. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for all of your sin. Every one of them. In full. Not because he had to, but because he wanted to, because he loved you that much. And then in three days he rose again. He's alive right now today. That's how he can be your Savior today and your Lord. He's not just the one who who forgives you. He does that. He's not just the one who gets you to heaven. He does that. But he becomes a part of your life. He becomes the guiding focus of your life. That's what that word Lord means. And we want to help you understand all of that from the, the scripture. You just provide us with that contact information. You can do that online. Same way, there's a digital form of that connection card. It's on our website, nationalheights.org backslash hello. And there's also a link for that on our Facebook and then also on the webpage if you're watching us there. Just go to that digital form and again, just indicate, I want to follow Jesus as my Savior. Just check the box or you can type it in there at the bottom. We'll be in touch with you to share with you how you can do that. How you can make Christ Lord of your life. Maybe there's some other way that God is is working in your life today. Maybe you're looking for a church home. You know the Lord is your Savior, but you want to plug in with a church that, that really is about reaching the world for Jesus. And I want to tell you something. I'm going to do everything I can in the next months as we get ready for this COVID thing to, to be gone, to do everything I can to get National Heights ready to do that, to charge for you. We, we, we've done that in years past. We can do that in days to come. But we've got to get ready for it. So if you want to be a part of a church that's getting ready to do that, We'd love to have you join with us, and we'll share with you how you can do that. Just indicate that either on the physical card here or on that digital form online. There are other options there. Maybe there are some other ways that God is leading in your heart. We'd be glad to help you with any of those decisions. Or maybe you've just got a prayer request, something that's going on in your life. You'd like some fellow Christians to be praying with you. On the reverse side of the physical form, you can indicate your prayer request. And again, just place it there in the baskets as you leave. Or on the digital form, it's right at the very bottom. Just scroll all the way to the bottom of the page, and there's a text box there. You can type in your prayer request. We'll be honored to be praying with you. Whatever way God's leading you this morning, you listen. Responding to his call as we sing together this morning.